choir. Thank you for that. And let's uh, also express our appreciation to Jonathan leading our worship. And Andrew, uh, saw you're leading our choir this morning. And <clears throat> Brian and his family are out of town visiting friends and family, so uh, we miss him today. But Andrew and Jonathan, both of y'all did a great job. Thank you. And uh, thank you all for being here today. I, I do love Mother's Day, and I do love the parent-baby dedication. Love just getting to see all these babies all at one time like that. Isn't it fun? You know, I told them as I was preparing them for this, this is, it's, I'm really nervous when I do that. Uh, but I, I told them, I said, I know I'm not as nervous as y'all are. Y'all are worried that baby's going to cut up and act up and throw up, and you never know what <laughs> is going to come up. But... Uh, it's always fun because I like to see parents sweat a little bit because <laughs> I remember sweating when I was there too. But uh, we do love children at this church. It was, uh, the preschool choir did a great job. Give them another hand. They're so sweet. You know, and those that work with them, we're so appreciative. We do believe in children and, and investing in the lives of our children, and we're so grateful God has given them to us. And, and you know, it's, this is a time of year that um, we focus on families. And uh, God, that was the first thing God put together, the first institution, the first organization, if you will, that God put together was the family. And the problem we're having in our culture today is the breakdown of the family. I was speaking yesterday, uh, I wasn't speaking, we were visiting at a table uh, at a wedding reception and was talking to a couple who, uh, he works at an alternative school as a teacher and she is with the... Um, uh, social services, and uh, they were just sharing with me, and I asked him, I said, well, what do you think is the, the problem? What do you think is the bottom line problem? I knew what the answer was going to be, and she said, the breakdown of the family. The breakdown of the family, and uh, so, you know, it just, God confirmed that this was the direction that he wanted me to go in in the next several weeks as we talk about families, and I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 1, and I, you know, something struck me this time as I was reading this gospel this year that, that I guess I had kind of overlooked before, but I want you to look at verse 67 of John chapter 1. You know, it introduces, um, first of all, John the Baptist. I said John 1, I mean Luke. Thank you, sweetheart. Well, thank God. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call somebody else sweetheart, but whoever that was, thank you. <laughs> was that you, Paula? <laughs> oh, sorry, Ike. I'm fine with the one I got, you know. Not trying to take yours. <laughs> thank you, Paula. Keeping me on track. Luke 1. The reason I was thinking John is because uh, it's about John the Baptist. And uh, it's about his family, his mom and his dad. And I thought it would be very appropriate as God just showed this to me. And then I thought, well, that's a, this would be a great time to talk about as we're talking about dedicating our, our parents and our babies to the Lord. But look what, I, look what God showed me, and I want to show it to you in verse 67. Now his father, that's John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now back up to verse 41. 
And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that's the mother of Jesus, that the babe, who was John the Baptist, leaped in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now back up to verse 15. As the angel is prophesying to Zacharias about John the Baptist, he said, He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And so the first thing that struck me was um, I saw that here was a family, father, mother, baby, filled with the Holy Spirit. A Spirit-filled family. And then I, I got to wondering, when was John the Baptist filled with the Spirit? Well, it says even from the womb. And, and here the baby leaped with joy when she heard the news of Mary expecting baby Jesus. Maybe it was while she was still expecting. I don't know. But here is a Spirit-filled family. So my question is, is this an isolated occurrence? Is this the only home or the only family that is supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Or do other homes and families get to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Does my home and family, can I and my family be filled with the Spirit? Can your home and your family be filled with the Holy Spirit? And what would that look like today, if it were? What would your home, what would your family look like if your home and your family, daddies and mamas, and husbands and wives and children were filled with the Holy Spirit. What would that look like? How would it change the structure, the framework, the attitude, the environment of your home? And that's where I'm going to begin today. And we're going to look at this not ne next Sunday. Bobby will be preaching for our graduate recognition, but then the next several weeks we'll be looking at Spirit-filled families. So today, and as... Briefly as I can, I just want to share with you that it's where it starts. It starts with the husband and the wife. Notice I said the husband and the wife, not the daddy and the mama. I want to make that distinction here because it starts before the kids come into the picture. Because if husbands and wives aren't right with God and each other... Having kids ain't going to fix it. You ever heard this couple, maybe they said, well, we're, we're having trouble, let's have a kid, maybe that'll draw us closer together. How many of you know that's the dumbest idea they ever had? Okay, if anything, <laughs> that kid may drive a wedge between mom and daddy, or husband and wife, if they're not already on the same page together. But if you want a spirit-filled home and family, it must begin with husbands and wives. I want you to notice, it begins with Zacharias and Elizabeth before they ever had a child. Look back at Luke chapter 1, verse 6, verse 5. There was, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So here's a husband and a wife, first of all, who is right with God. 
Now, I want to make a distinction here as well, that right with God does not mean perfect. You see, again, I have to emphasize this, that it's not about our performance as it is our position. Our position is in Christ Jesus. If you have been saved and you are in Christ Jesus, you are right with God. Now, it also has to do with your direction. You see, if I were to measure my performance over the course of my life, or at least since the time I was six years old and became a Christian, and I were to measure the, the course of my life, you would see that it looked a lot like this. If, if down here is really bad and up here is really good, perfect, then here's what you would see if you measured the course of my life. You would see, hmm, he's doing good today. Well, tomorrow he looks pretty sorry. You would see it kind of like this. But what do you see about the progression of my life? Okay, there's some ups and downs, right? So positionally, I am in Christ. Performance, I have some up and downs in the course of my life, but my direction is moving ever closer to the Lord. That is because my heart is directed towards Him, and that's my direction, that's my path. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I'm in a right standing with God. And that's what I'm talking about. These people were righteous before God. Now, here's the question I want to ask. How do you get to be righteous before God? Well, there's only one way you can be righteous before God, and it's not by performance. You're coming to church, even dedicating your child or singing in the choir or preaching or whatever it is, does not make you righteous before God. In fact, the Pharisees were the most religious people in the whole world, and Jesus said that they would be condemned. They wouldn't make it in the kingdom of heaven. He said because they had their own righteousness. They had self-righteousness. And he said they rejected the righteousness of God. That's what he said in Romans chapter 10, verse 3. They rejected the righteousness of God and embraced their own righteousness. The Bible tells us how we get righteous before God as any human being. Husband, wife, mama, daddy, kid, doesn't matter. There's only one way to get righteous before God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Not the righteousness of Lee in Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ. You see, Jesus took Lee's sin. God took Lee's sin and put it on Jesus. Jesus carried it and paid for it on the cross and took it away from me. God took the righteousness of Jesus and put it on Lee. Because I, when I was a six-year-old kid, believed and put my faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, he declared me, made me righteous before him. That's the only way I'd be righteous. It's not about my performance. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 10, in verse 9, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart we believe unto righteousness. With our heart we believe unto righteousness. Not with our feet do we perform unto righteousness. With our heart we believe unto righteousness. Abraham, it says in Genesis, he believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. You see, it is our faith in what Jesus Christ has already done, the work on the cross of Calvary that makes a person righteous. So if you're going to have a spirit-filled home, if you're going to have a spirit-filled family, it begins with you being right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it has to start. These two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous before God solely because of their faith in the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's why Elizabeth was so excited when she heard the news that this Messiah had come and was in Mary's womb. That's the reason John leaped in her womb, because this news had come. 
Now, it also means that husbands and wives must be right with each other. If you're going to have a spirit-filled home and a spirit-filled family, it begins with the husbands and wives being right with God, and then husbands and wives being right with each other. Well, for this one, I'm going to ask you to turn to the most uncomfortable passage on marriage in the Bible. And you looked at it last Sunday for some of us in Ephesians chapter 5. And so, yes, I'm going there. Because it's very important for us to deal with this if we're going to have spirit-filled. You see, you can't, be a, you can't have a spirit-filled marriage. You can't have a spirit-filled home unless you have, first of all, made right with God, and then are living according to His principles in His Word. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Remember that. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the order that God gives, even before kids. Notice chapter 6 begins with children. But before he starts talking about children, moms and dads, he's talking about husbands and wives. A spirit-filled family. If this lady who's working with social services, and she is hands-on, she's right there in the thick of it, and she's saying she's seeing firsthand that the problem is the breakdown of the home. And that's not the first time I've heard that, and that's why I know that. It's one reason, and I said, what do you attribute that to? Why is the home being broken down? Is it rebellious kids? You know what she said? No, it's the mamas and the daddies. It's the husbands and the wives. They don't know what they're doing. So I'm not here to say to you that uh, thus says Lee Waller. I'm here to say thus saith the Lord. This is God's prescription for the right kind of home and family. Wives submitting and respecting their husbands. Husbands loving their wives. Now here's the question. Who should go first? Well, I know what every man would say. The wife, after all, she's listed first. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands. When she submits, 
I think I can love her. Amen? Nobody saying a word. <laughs> because you know I'm right. It's exactly how we men typically think. When she does everything I want her to do, when she acts like I want her to act, when she's doing what she ought to be doing as a wife, then I think I can love her. Or I'll, I'll, I'll probably feel more loving towards her. Is that what it says? I know what wives are thinking. Because I have one. When he loves me, I'll be more than happy to submit. I can respect a man that loves me. If there was a man that would love me like Jesus loved the church, I could, I could submit to him. I could follow him. Is that what it says? Y'all are eerily quiet. <laughs> Nobody wants to amen because that means I, means I got to live up to it. I want you to think about this for a minute. Husbands, when we say or think or act like that attitude, when my wife submits, when she shows me some respect, when she's meeting my needs, whatever, then I'll love her. Is that the attitude of love as defined by Christ? Yes or no? All together now, men, no. He said, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now let me ask you something, men and women. Before Christ died for you, did you have all your life together? Were you a good person? Before you got saved, were you worthy of dying for? The Bible says that while... That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But yet you have the audacity and the pride to say to God, and you say, you say I'm not saying it to God, I'm saying it about my wife. Well, you're saying it to God. You're saying to God, Lord, Lord, Lord you're wrong. You don't get it. You don't know my wife. I'll love her when she does what you told her to do. God said, I'm telling you to do this, and don't worry about the rest. Now, think about it. Wives, when you say, I'll, I'll submit and I'll respect him when he loves me, and he's meeting my needs and nourishing and cherishing me and doing for me what Christ does for the church, then I'll submit. Let me ask you this. Is that the attitude of submission as defined by Christ? All together now, ladies, no. So get this, you're saying submission is I'll submit on my terms. Isn't that what you're saying? I'll submit when he loves me. I'll sub is that really submission when you're submitting on your terms? That's not submission at all. It's like a person saying, I'll get saved on my own terms. I'll get saved when I feel good and ready to get saved. I'll get, and when I get saved, I'll do what I want to do, and I'll obey on my own terms if I want to or not. Is that salvation? No. And as for who should go first, men or women, husbands or wives, think about it this way. Somebody already went first. Who went first for you in the first place? Who submitted 
first. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, did he not? We're talking about a member of the Godhead. Tom Jones pointed this out last Sunday in Sunday school. Jesus, the Son, the member of the Godhead, had all power, he says, all authority, he says, who is the head of the church. And he submitted to the will of the Father. He said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He left heaven's glory to come to earth. And he submitted himself to the will of the Father. And he went to the cross for you and me. He went first, wives, for you. And husbands, he went first for you. Who was it that loved you? Who was it that loved this world before the world was worthy of love and the world still isn't worthy of love? Did he first love us? The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And he loves us unconditionally. Am I worthy of the love of Jesus Christ? Will I ever be worthy of the love of Jesus Christ? Yes or no? No. Will you be? No. Then why hold your wife to that standard? You're rebelling against the Spirit of God and you cannot be a Spirit-filled husband and wife. You're rebelling against the Spirit of God when you put demands on your husband before you submit in respect to him. And you cannot be a Spirit-filled wife. As long as those attitudes exist, you must repent of those. Those are sinful spirits, sinful attitudes, and that begins to the deterioration and the breakdown of that marriage, which leads to the breakdown of that family and that home, which leads to the breakdown of our culture that we're experiencing today. And Christians are not setting much of a better example than secular marriages. And it's time for us to put a stop where we can put a stop to it. You say, this world's going to hell and had mess, but there ain't much I can do about it. Yeah, it is. Submit to your husband, love your wife. There's a great start. It's a great start. Teach your children how to do that. How do you teach your children to do that? Parents in the class this morning, how do you teach them how to do it? Example, you do it. You just do it. And they learn by watching mom and daddy. And they, when they see mom and daddy having an argument, they get to see mom and daddy making up and apologizing to one another. Getting it right. You see, Jesus Christ is referred to 14 times in these 12 verses I just read. And he says to the wife, as to the Lord. He says to the husband, as Christ loved the church. You see, Jesus Christ is the example to follow, not your spouse. You're looking to the wrong person for your cues. Husbands are saying, when my wife submits, I'll love her. Wives are saying, when my husband loves, I'll, I'll submit to him. You're looking to the wrong person for your cues. You're supposed to be looking to Jesus Christ. He went first for, before you did. He submitted before you did. He loved before you did. He's the example. He blazed the trail for both of you to follow immediately. So stop waiting and start obeying. And watch what Jesus Christ will do in your marriage. And make sure you're hearing this the right way. He doesn't say, husbands, make your wives submit to you. He doesn't say, wives, do everything you can to make your husband love you. That's not what he says. Verse 22 is written to the wife. Wife, willingly, as an act of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, submit yourself to your husband. Husbands, willingly, as an act of obedience, as, and following the example of Jesus Christ, love your, love your wives and lay down your life for her. You see, 
Both are acts of submission. That's why I said in verse 21, submitting to one another. Both are acts of submission. You cannot have a spirit-filled home when husbands and wives are not right with each other and right with God as defined in Scripture. It just cannot happen. I believe the greatest gift a husband can give his wife is to love her as Christ loves her. I believe the greatest gift a wife can give her husband is to submit to and respect him as unto Christ. I believe this is also one of the greatest gifts you can give your children. A right relationship between mama and daddy. Letting your children see that you're not just mama and daddy, but you're husband and wife. They see the love. They know the security is there, that even though mom and daddy don't always agree and sometimes they argue, they see that there's that love and that's, that, that commitment and loyalty to one another. And it provides those children with a great sense of security. Moms, the greatest gift you can give your children is to submit to and respect your husband as unto the Lord. Dads, the greatest gift you can give your children is to love their mama as Christ loves the church, which is you. And when this is true, those children have a great sense of peace and security in your home and your family that not, that not even all the money in the world can buy. You see, and that's part of the problem. We have put the emphasis in the wrong place. We put the emphasis on making a living instead of building a spirit-filled home. And in the midst of making a living to keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths or the whoevers or maybe just to satisfy our own desires, we sacrifice our children on the altar of materialism and greed. And we're so busy, we don't have time for husband and wife. And then children come rushing in and, and they've got to go to ball games and they've got to go here and got to go there. And we have to keep up with their school and their homework. And, and we never have the time to pour into husband and wife, let alone talk to the father. And we think it's all going to work out somehow. In the end, it's just going to all wash out nice and neat. It doesn't work that way. You and I have to really, as husbands and wives, we have to be intentional to build spirit filled homes. Zacharias and Elizabeth, it wasn't an accident that they were filled with the Spirit. It didn't just happen. It wasn't God showing favoritism. It was because they were living. They were serving. They were directed toward God. They were right with God. They were right with each other. And God said, I see someone in whom I can put my spirit. And God wants to bless your home. And next time, I, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about reasons we think we can't be filled with the Spirit in our homes. Reasons we think that this won't work in our family. Because I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, that was a preacher, Zechariah. Yeah, that's easy for the preacher to say. He's a preacher. You think I'm always filled with the Spirit? You think my home's always perfect? You want some examples? I'll tell you some on Tana later. But, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't dare. Today's Mother's Day. 
She'd have, she'd have more on me, though. She'd have more on me. Our home's not perfect. But next time, we're going to talk about reasons you think this won't work for you. Yeah, I know what the Bible says, but. I know that could happen, but. We're going to talk about the buts in a couple of weeks. And I'm going to show you from Scripture that your home, you, born-again believer, you, yeah, married to that stubborn husband or that rebellious wife or whatever y'all call each other or think about each other, you can be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, that home that's got that child that's going a little crooked can have a Spirit-filled home and family. It can happen. Father, Father,